Well, friends, uh, I want to speak to you today from the book of 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. Before I do that, let me give you a little preamble. If you want to read about this church, the Thessalonian church, it's there in Greece. Thessaloniki is the name of it today. Uh, and the Apostle Paul planted that church on his second missionary journey. Right up until now, Paul has been planting churches in Galatia, in Macedonia, in places like ancient Asia. And uh, in, his, in this second missionary journey, they, they end up in Troas. They end up in a place they don't really want to be. They try to preach the gospel further into Asia. They try to preach the gospel into Bithynia. And the Holy Spirit has forbidden them. Somehow the Holy Spirit blocked them from going into those different territories. And as, as they traveled from where Paul was, from Tarsus, from Lystra, from Derby, from visiting all those other churches, the further west they went, they ended up on the west coast in Troas. And then in that night, when they're all asleep, Paul has a vision, he has a dream. And it's the call to come over and help us, what's called the Macedonian call. And then uh, the next day, they, they take a boat, they go over there, they go to Philippi, they plant a church in Philippi. It's an amazing church because it all comes out of that, that earthquake where Paul was put in prison, he was beaten, and uh, the church is planted because of the Philippian jailer, because of Lydia. It's a very special church. But Paul is persecuted in that city, and so he travels further south, and that's when he ends up in Thessaloniki. In fact, every time Paul is preaching in what is modern-day Europe, uh, Greece today, uh, he's persecuted wherever he goes. And the same is true of the church in Thessaloniki. He's there for just a couple of months. Uh, some scholars think it's as short as two weeks if you look at the detail written in Acts, but, but others would argue, no, he's there for a few months. But nevertheless, because of persecution, Paul moves on from Thessaloniki. He travels further south. He ends up in Athens and then finally in Corinth. And when he's in Corinth, he's there for a number of years. And uh, most people believe that it's in Corinth that he writes this letter to the Thessalonian church. And it's full of affection. It's, it's full of amazing things. And so the title of my message today is Together in Heart. Together in Heart. Read this wonderful text with me in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. We're going to start at verse 17. But we, brethren, having been taken away from you for a short time in presence, not in heart, endeavored more eagerly to see your face with great desire, Therefore, we wanted to come to you, even I, Paul, time and again, but Satan hindered us. For what is our hope or joy or crown of rejoicing? Is it not even you in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ that is coming? For you are our glory and joy. You are our glory and joy. I want you to think about this wonderful text. Paul didn't have much time to be with this church. He, he was there a few months at most. But it had a tremendous impact. This was a church that was birthed out of pain, out of persecution. But nevertheless, they were faithful to Jesus. And whenever you have something that's very young and very fragile, you always have a deep concern for it. Imagine, imagine a mother who has a baby that's two months old 
and suddenly through a set of circumstances they're separated. They know that that baby is being taken care of by somebody but they're not sure how good a job they're doing and they're the mother. They're, they're the person who gave birth to this. That's really what's going on here in Paul's mind. It's like he's away, he trusts God, he trusts in the power of the Spirit, he trusts that leaders will emerge in Thessaloniki. But nevertheless, as a mother, and he uses that language earlier on in this very chapter, as a nursing mother, he's concerned about these new babes in Christ. And so he writes this letter to show them that even though he's away from them, He's with them. And so the first point I want to make to you, and it's a really important point because we've all experienced a world crisis called COVID-19. We've had to use what's called social distancing. In other words, we've had to intentionally not gather, not meet, not be close to people other than the people that we're living with. And the best we can do sometimes is two meters apart, saying hello, having a conversation. And it's been a little strange and it's gone on for a couple of months. But I want you to know that Paul experienced a similar thing here, not through circumstances that were about pandemics, but because of persecution. And Paul often wanted to come back to this church. So he says here, despite the distance, we're together in heart. Despite the distance, we're together in heart. I think that's important for every church, every church member, every church leader to understand today that even though we've been separated, even though there's a crisis going on and somehow we can't gather in the way that we wish to, we can't gather in the way we desire to, nevertheless, there is something that distance can never destroy and that is the unity that we have in the Holy Spirit that's the togetherness that we have in heart. Isn't it true that when you get connected to people, even when you're apart, you carry them in your heart? That's really what Paul is talking about here. And that's really the essence of my message to you as a church today, that we carry people in our heart. We're together. Here's the second point I want to make. I'm going to make five points to you and then we'll talk about a few things that I think demonstrate what real togetherness of heart looks like. But the first point is this. Despite distance, we can be together in heart. Here's the second point I want to make. Separation made Paul more determined to get together. Separation made Paul more determined to get together. In fact, he says, time and again, I tried to get to you, but Satan hindered us. I tried to do it over and over again. Paul was determined he wanted to get back to this church to see how they were doing. And if we're truly together in heart, separation tells you something about what you truly value. When you've been separated from something that you value for a long time, it increases your desire to want to be together again. You know, Shakespeare once wrote these words, parting is such sweet sorrow. And what he meant by that was that when two people are in love and then they have to part, they have to be apart, it increases their desire and longing to come together again. That's really what Paul is saying here. He's saying that separation made him more determined to want to gather together with these people. He wanted to see them face to face Listen to his words with great desire. 
You know, as we start to come out of COVID-19 and as governments begin to relax the rules about how we get together, how we gather together, I want to ask you a question this morning. Is there a great desire in your heart to get together with the saints? The Apostle Paul couldn't wait to be with these believers. And remember, he was already with another group of believers in Corinth. They were, they were a very challenging church and he was having to work out some things with them as well. But he was carrying this other church in his heart and he longed to be with them. Listen, we can go and use technology and we can watch the greatest preachers in the world. Uh, and they're out there. You can hear the greatest messages. You can hear people way better than Peter Prothero. But here's the thing. If God has joined our hearts together and God has put us together in a particular locality in order for us to impact that locality with the gospel of Jesus, with the love of God, if we're the community of people together in that place, we should be longing to get together. It should be something we're passionate about. Paul goes on to say this in, verse, in, a, in, this, in these verses. It's a third point I want to bring out. He says, I wanted to come to you, I, Paul, time and again, but Satan hindered us. Here's the third point I want to make. There is a real enemy who wants to hinder your progress as a Christian. A real enemy. The word Satan means the, the one who opposes. And the enemy is always opposing the purpose of God. He's always opposing the plan of God. And he's always opposing the people of God. And if he can make us stumble, if he can hinder, think about the children of Israel in the Old Testament. You know, they were tempted 10 times. They tempted the Lord till in the end, God said, well, okay, if, if, if you want to go back to Egypt, you're going to die in this wilderness. You won't experience the promised land that I've ordained for you. And God's purpose for his people was hindered for 40 years. He had planned that they would enter the promised land just days. Literally, it's an 11 day journey after Egypt to get into the promised land of Canaan. But they spent 40 years in the wilderness. Well, Satan hindered them. They were tempted to complain. They were tempted to uh, speak against Moses. They were tempted to speak against God's provision of manna, complaining, 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 till the end, God said, okay, I've had enough. You've done this so much, I'm gonna give you what you want. You, you don't think I can take you in? Fair enough, you'll die in the wilderness. And we have to be careful that, that Satan is always trying to trip us up. He's always trying to hinder the people of God. Nevertheless, we have to be intentional and purposeful about seeing God's purpose and God's plan fulfilled. And Paul said here, he said, look, I know I've been hindered, but I'm not giving up. I'm not giving up. I know God wants me to be with you. In fact, later on in this very chapter, he says, look, I can't come, but I'm going to send Timothy to you. I, I'm going to make some kind of provision. So here's the thing. We, we shouldn't be ignorant and unaware of the enemy's devices. I hope during COVID-19, your love for people and your love for gathering has not grown cold. I, I hope you can't wait to get together when the opportunity arises. I, I hope you're passionate about it. I hope that God is using this season to, in a sense, light a fire within you to appreciate what it means to be gathered by the Holy Spirit. Here's the fourth thing I want to say. 
God wants to awaken desire in us to see if we miss being together. God wants to awaken desire in us to see if we miss being together. You know, sometimes you can be away from a particular person or group of people or situation and you don't miss it at all. And other times you can be separated and there's just a deep longing in your heart to get together with those people. I think sometimes God does that intentionally. If you read the Song of Solomon, there's a beautiful story about the beloved and the loved. And it's, it's a wonderful metaphor, of course, between Jesus and the church. But just take it for what it is. It's a love story between a man and a woman. And there are times where the bridegroom withdraws himself to see if the beloved will desire him. And there's one point where he comes and the door is locked and she's asleep and then she gets up and then she runs through the streets of Jerusalem at nighttime looking for her beloved. She's asking people, have you seen him? Is he here? Is he there? It's just a beautiful picture of how desire awakens in us. And when desire awakens, we need to pursue that desire. Well, the greatest desire that we're meant to have is a desire for Jesus, a desire for his kingdom. You know, Peter wrote these words at one time. He's in, it's in 1 Peter 1.8. He's talking about Jesus. And I'm going to miss out a few words just to catch the essence of what Peter's saying. But in 1 Peter 1.8, with a little edit, it says this, Jesus, whom having not seen, you love. Isn't that beautiful? Jesus, whom having not seen, you love. Can you imagine loving someone you don't see? Well, you can because you love Jesus. Why do we love Jesus even though we've not seen him? Well, because we've seen and experienced his grace. We've seen and experienced his love. We've seen and experienced his forgiveness and his compassion and his mercy. We've seen what Jesus is like in history and we long one day to meet him in the future. Even though we haven't seen him, we love him. Though now you do not see him yet believing you rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory. Joy inexpressible and full of glory. You know, it's a, it's a wonderful thing when your heart is so overwhelmed with joy that you're actually lost for words in how to express it. I remember my mother, who's Italian. And whenever my mother was either overwhelmingly happy or overwhelmingly angry, she broke out into Italian. She couldn't help it. There were not enough English words for her to express either her deep, deep joy or, or her anger. And so, you know, when my brother and I used to hear our mother going off in Italian, we used to wait for about 30 seconds to try and hear it. Now, now she's either really, really happy or we've done something and we need to get out of the house. And, uh, and my mother would do that. It was, it was inexpressible in her in in English but she could do it in Italian and of course when she would see new babies I remember she saw our first child her first grandchild you know just the sheer joy she was literally lost for words for a while which I'd never seen my mother by the way uh, in my entire life lost for words for a while and then all the Italian broke out my bella piccinina and off she went uh, rejoicing over this. God wants to awaken desire in us so that we want to be together. Here's the fifth thing. The church triumphing was Paul's source of hope, 
joy and rejoicing. Here's his question. What is our hope or joy or crown of rejoicing? He's asking the question. And here's the answer. Is it not even you in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ that is coming? For you are our glory and joy. Can you imagine Paul saying to a church, you know the thing that I'm most proud of? It's you. The thing that makes me want to give praise to God? It's you because of the way you're living, because of your faith, because of your love. And Paul commends this Thessalonian church for the way they were engaging with community and society in a way that was just transforming the world around them. And he declares over them, to me, that's like a crown. To me, that's my chief joy. To me, that's what I boast in, which is what the word glory really means it. And so a church triumphant is a church that we can rejoice in. And so I want to encourage you, Connect Church. I want to encourage you, every other church around the world. I want to encourage you, if you're listening to this video, uh, I want to encourage you to be somebody who does something that makes a difference in your world because that's what we're meant to rejoice in. That's what we're meant to be proud in. That's what we're meant to be focused on. So what does oneness of heart look like? Let me give you a few more things. Again, from Thessalonians, a few more things. What does together in heart, together in heart, what does that look like? Here's the first point. We care how people are doing. We care how people are doing. Paul cared about this church. In verse 7 and 8 of chapter 2, he says, We were gentle among you like a nursing mother caring for her own children. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were willing to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves, because you become dear to us. If we're going to be together in heart, we've got to care about the people that we can't even be with. We've got to carry them in our heart. Paul says, I was like a nursing mother caring for you. And I didn't just give you the gospel. I gave you me. I gave you who I am. I didn't just give you a message. I gave you the messenger. In other words, I fully gave myself to you in this transaction. And I care. Here's the second thing. We don't just care for them. We pray for them. First Thessalonians 1, 2. Paul says this, we give thanks to God always for you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers. Hey, listen, when we're together in heart, we can't help but pray for people we care about. We can't help it. It's, it's not something you have to do out of duty. It's not like you have to write a list. When there's people you care about, people in my world who I care about, I can't help but pray for them. It's like a default that kicks in. It's like an anxiety that rises in me when I know they're going through a difficulty or I know they're going through a challenging time or I know that, that perhaps they're wrestling with particular issues or crises. I can't help it. It's like an anxiety comes in me and I know the Bible says don't be anxious for anything. So what do I do? Well, I do what Paul says later on in chapter 5 of 1 Thessalonians. Uh, be anxious for nothing, but by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be known to God. And so when we get concerns, how does Paul direct us? When he says we pray. We pray. It comes out of our heart. It comes out of our spirit. Why? Because we're together in heart with those people. Here's the third thing that I think is a recognition when we're together in heart. Here's what it looks like. We share resources together. 
we we share resources together. When Paul wrote to this church, he says in verse chapter two and verse nine, remember brothers, our labor and tool, toil, we worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you while we proclaim to you the gospel of God. Paul had every right as an apostle to live being supported by churches. But often when he established a new church, he, he would do this with a mature church, but often with a new church, he would work and labor. He was a tent maker, a worker with leather. And Paul would work all kinds of hours in between preaching, teaching, and discipling people. And he shared his resources with those early church, giving them a model of how he wanted them to be in the future. I think when we're together in heart, we share our resource. Whether that resource is food, like we've been doing with some of the communities, where we've been taking food around to people who can't afford or can't go shopping or somehow are housebound. This sharing of resource is sharing the love of God with our community. We do it with each other and we do it with the wider community. We're a testimony to them of what it means to be together in heart. Here's number four. We use technology to connect with people. Now, you might find it really strange that I put that in there. We use technology. But I want you to understand this. In the first century, a quill and vellum was technology. Paul wrote letters. He, he literally had a scribe and he wrote letters to churches all over the Roman Empire as it was then. And when Paul was writing letters, he was using technology. It was first century technology. Today, we get to use 21st century technology. We get to use social media platforms. We get to use multimedia. We get to use video. We get to use MP3 and audio. We have a plethora of technology to enable us to stay connected. And so I want to encourage you in this season, come on, use technology. When somebody comes on your mind and heart, yes, pray for them, but maybe you can use technology to connect with them. Maybe you can do a FaceTime call or a WhatsApp call or a house party call or, or some or a Skype call. There's all kinds of ways you connect with people or just a phone call. And I'm doing this intentionally every day. I'm speaking to young leaders around Europe and I'm encouraging them in their journey. And I'm just spending, sometimes I'm spending five minutes on the phone, sometimes I'm spending 55 minutes on the phone. But I'm intentionally connecting, why? Because we are together in heart. We are together in heart. Here's the fifth thing and final thing I wanna say. We are united in a common vision. We're united in a common vision. When we're together in heart, we're aiming at the same thing. We are in Psalm 133, together, together. Remember that Hebrew word, yachad, those who dwell together in unity. The word together in unity is a repetition of two Hebrew words, yachad, yachad. You see, in the English language, we can say great, greater, and greatest. We know how to move towards a superlative. In the Hebrew language, you can't do that. So what they used to do was repeat the same word twice to convey a superlative intensity. And we translate it together in unity, which is a good translation, but it's perfectly legitimate to say, we're together, together. 
together, together. And that's what it means to be together in heart. We have a common vision. We have a common purpose. So I want to encourage you as a church, come on, get behind your local vision. Get behind your local leaders. Get behind what God is doing in your midst because you have a part to play. You have gifts that are needed by the local church. The service that you can do to advance the kingdom of God, we're in this together and we're united by a common vision. I believe this is what it means to be together in heart. Paul wrote this letter and wrote these words because even though he wanted to be with people, he couldn't be. Circumstances overtook him, but he used technology, he used prayer, he carried people in his heart, he was intentional about staying connected in some way, either by sending others or by writing letters. I think in this season of COVID-19, this should encourage us as a church. It's not always gonna be like this, but use this opportunity as a time for God to awaken your desire and your longing and then when the opportunity presents itself, take it, move ahead, and let's be the church that God has called us to be. Amen. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your truth. Thank you that it has the power to change us from the inside out. My prayer for everyone listening to this is that there would be a company of people that they are together in heart with that even though they may be separated from them, it's real, it's tangible, it's something they live with, an awakened desire for us to be together again really soon. In Jesus' precious name, amen.